This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 154 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, we'll break down everything from Georgia State's convincing 42-14 win over Southern Miss, touch on a bit of transfer news, and then look ahead to Saturday's Senior Day clash with ULM. Then we'll flip over to basketball and discuss the Panthers' season-opening win over Coastal Georgia and preview their upcoming two-game in-state homestand. But first, let's talk football. Against Southern Miss, it was a 42-14 win. Georgia State jumped out to a 28-0 lead that perfectly represented their level of control at halftime, then overcame a 14-0 run in the third quarter by the Golden Eagles and scored the final two touchdowns to restore their 4-TD lead when the clock hit zero. The 202 yards the defense allowed is the new program low in a single game, while the 388 rushing yards and 33 rushing yards allowed are both third in their categories, respectively, in school history. So, gentlemen, thoughts about this game against the Golden Eagles? So, I mean, I said it in our chat at one point over the weekend. Probably the best half of football that Georgia State's played under Sean Elliott in the first half. Um, not really anything more deep you can say about that. Just 28 nothing speaks for itself. But it was also the tenor of the just the two quarters where they showed up from opening kick and you could tell they wanted to get the ground game going. After going turnover on downs on the first drive, I guess that's maybe a good omen now because it's happened the last two games and they've won both of them handily. Um, But from their second drive, they marched down the field, long drive like we saw in the second half against ODU, got the muffed punt recovery, went up 14-0, and they just piled on from there in the first half. I mean, we should just start there where it's just incredible outing for the first 30 minutes. Yeah, it it felt like the the best first half uh, that Georgia State has had under Coach Sean Elliott, and we confirmed that it wasn't. Which I'm honestly no, it was. Was it? It was. No, I'm saying like I don't know. I don't care what like. Oh, I think they also had a plus twenty eight margin. A couple other halves. That one is tops for me. I don't. Okay, that's fair because it it and I'm I'm glad you corrected that because it just it felt like. Oh my God. Like that looked like a, you know, SEC school playing an FCS school. Like I have never seen a Georgia State team look like that. They just, they did everything that they wanted to do, both sides of the ball. You know, Southern Miss couldn't pass, they couldn't run. Georgia State passed it a little bit. You know, it wasn't a crazy passing day, but they passed it when they wanted to. They ran when they wanted to. I mean, Darren, right now, when it comes to running the ball, he's their best offense. And then Marcus Carroll was just like, oh, hey, this really deep running back room that we've talked about all year. Surprise. I'm also very good. The special teams were making plays. The special teams were making plays. That's how bad of a beatdown that this half and this game was. Yeah, well, I think that the margin ties the record for a half. I think it was 42-14 against ULM in 2020. But I give the edge to this one because the defense didn't give up any points. So same margin. The defense didn't give up anything. So I still give it to this one, even if you look at it on a technical level. But with that point of order out of the way, yeah, I mean, we went in this one and right before kick. It's like Quay White's not going to play. Jam Williams has been hurt, not going to play. And then as it turns out, Tucker was at least a little limited because Marcus got most of the carries for, at running back and when the game was in hand, was, was not in hand because 
over the fourth quarter, we got debuts from Casey Adams and got a lot of time for Antoine Lane. Um, but before then, Marcus was getting basically every snap at running back. And he put on a show. And I think it's like Coach Elliott was saying back in the spring. And like we've kind of thought that it was a deeper running back room than it needed to be because they trusted the top two guys so much. And you saw Marcus get to really put on. And yeah. And the other part of all of this, which is the impressive thing to me, is that I still think Southern Miss is a good team. I think that they're young and I think that they had been on a high and maybe Georgia State caught them at the right time where maybe they were a little bit feeling themselves about it. But it's still a good defense. It's a team that's not going to give up 388 yards on the ground to many teams over the next few years. I think Will Hall has got them trending in the right direction. And so it's not like you showed up to a team you were supposed to. I mean, you're supposed to do this too because – I was expecting it to be kind of one possession either way. No one really getting out of the 20s. And Georgia State was at 28 before it was even halftime. So obviously a massive shift from what my expectations were. But I think it's even more than the old Dominion game, the team that we expected to see heading into this year. And it's been on a delayed fuse again like it was last year. But the fact remains that they've kind of reset where they need to, finishing that off with the upcoming game against ULM where they'd get back to five and five and you can't rewrite the past and you can only worry about the future. And they have gone four and one in October and November now, and they are kind of back onto where they need to be. They've got a chance to still go bowling, get eligible, get to seven wins in the regular season. All of that's on hand. And if they play like they did the last two weeks and especially this last week, there's really no game. You wouldn't give them a really good chance of winning. You really wouldn't, you know, and it's it's nice to see just how cohesive both sides of the ball are playing right now. You know, to your point about Southern Miss being a good team, I tend to agree. I think they are a good team and I feel like the game situation kind of just didn't did them no favors. You know, you look at the first four drives for Georgia State turnover on downs an 80 yard touchdown drive that took almost six minutes three and out punt. And then on that fourth drive, a touchdown drive, you know, is a pretty quick minute 24, but you went 51 yards, you know, for Southern Miss, you had a punt three and out the next drive, six plays, a little bit more time punt next drive, three and out next drive, three and out at the end of those drives. And, and, you know, at the end of those four first four drives for each team, you know, Georgia state got the ball first. It's already 14, nothing, you know, And then you kind of look at the next section for each team, the next drive for Georgia state touchdown, you know, two minutes, 63 yard drive. It's already 21 to zero. Okay. Southern miss comes down, you know, starts to move the ball a little bit. They'll have to punt next drive for Georgia state punt next drive for Southern miss and interception. They just really never kind of got out of the mud. And when you're down that much, psychologically it is hard to come back in games. And of course we've seen it before, you know, we've college football fans, you know, professional football fans have seen, you know, crazy comebacks all the time, but still it is hard to, you know, kind of do, there's no 21 point play in a college football game. There's no, you know, we need these two second scores to get back in this game immediately play. And so it just, it became a very daunting task for them. And, you know, that obviously that trend continued in the second half, of course, but it was a lot easier to see Southern Miss start to, you know, move the ball in the second half, just given what they did, because they are a good team. They definitely are a good team. 
Yeah, I think that the biggest problem was quarterback play. I, I think Georgia State game planned and executed game plan to a T as far as that goes because you know, Zach Wilkie came in as the starter. He's been a freshman that they've been shepherding along through his growing pains and probably had one of his worst games of the year. Um, and it wasn't entirely his fault because there was just no protection for him. The pocket was collapsing really quick. He was having guys running free at him and he was having to get rid of it. Bad throws, taking sacks, having to scramble out of the pocket and avoid sacks. And, you know, it let him get to such a low that they pulled him and brought in Jake Lang, who I believe is a walk-on as the second string quarterback. He ended up getting hurt at halftime and they go to the third string in the third quarter. And that actually, I think, worked out for the best for them because, you know, Trey Lowe still wasn't like a huge, massive step up. And he was still having to deal with a lot of the issues that the other two quarterbacks were having to, but he had more mobility. And on the touchdown drive to make it 28-7, he was able to escape some pressure a couple of times and get the ball out and extend plays. And they eventually found the end zone. And then at that point, Marcus Carroll with his lone low point of the game fumbles it on that next drive. Um, third and long screenplay that's kind of like, just go down. Don't don't try for it for extra yards you're still 20 yards short of line to gain um but usm gets it scores a touchdown really quick and that was the only point where it got a little bit like oh you've dominated this game and somehow it's back to a two-score game and you know i credit them for you know i, I guess they had to go to an injury it sounded like it was a pinky or something for lang but it worked out because i think that low came in and gave them kind of a boost and they got that positive momentum for the only time in the game to date and then Georgia State took that punch and Darren Ranger got a 60-yard run on the first play of the next drive into the red zone. Very quickly, Georgia State finds the end zone, makes it 35-14, and from there they didn't look back. And so I think the one thing you can point to in this game to where it wasn't like the best game they've ever played is that you had that lapse. You had that moment where Southern Miss got two touchdowns real quick and made it kind of a game. But a little bit on a delay, they responded to that and they got the two scores to restore it. And I also said this at some point, I think on Saturday itself is like, this was not the game that I had pegged where you're going to have the walk-ons playing, you're the second strings playing for the last 12 minutes of the game, but it worked out to be that way. And so a lot of backups got reps. McKeeley Calasardo got to show off his legs on a read option play uh, late in the game. And you know, that is a game that Georgia state hasn't had this year. And I think it's what maybe people thought the Charlotte game was going to be maybe, you know, the army game, if you were particularly low in army, which um, I, I wouldn't have been going into the year, them being a little bit down has surprised me some, uh, but other than that, you wouldn't have really thought that Georgia state had a shot at a game like that, where they could get the starters just 12 minutes off once they cleared, maybe the Charlotte game, if you even said that one. And so Always a positive when you can get everyone who travels on the field and they were able to do that and then some really on that end of game sequence. Yeah, I wouldn't have pegged this to be one of those games either. And especially the I guess the interesting thing to me over the last couple of weeks, you know, they had the 31-17 win against Old Dominion last week. You know, I, I would call a 14-point win a blowout to, you know, that's lower end blowout range you know i feel like old dominion and southern miss have been some of the better defenses in the Sun Belt, and georgia state's offense right now is just kind of dropping points like it's it's genuinely crazy 
Um, the you know you mentioned they were four and one since October. Thirty-one against Army, forty-one against Georgia Southern, seventeen against App, but thirty-one against Old Dominion, forty-two against Southern Miss. Like the way that the offense is going right now, something must have switched after that Coastal game because I mean. You know, we were talking, especially after that week, about how this team offensively is just not doing what needs to be done to get into that 30 points per game range. And now it's like, outside of App State, (laughs) nobody is keeping them under 30 points. You know, they're finding ways to get it done in a variety of ways, too. I think it started with the offensive line getting sorted and you had that army game where you have Luis Cristobal come out of left guard, you move Travis Lever out to right tackle and that immediately solidified things and made things better. And then you were able to have a really nice day against Georgia Southern. And then you struggled after the first quarter and a half against app and they kind of keyed in on the run game, but you still had in that game where at least for one stretch, you were really good in the run. You follow that on with at least a, productive-ish game against ODU where you controlled the clock to no end and capped it off with this one against Southern Miss where you did everything you wanted to. And I think the offensive line has been able to get settled. And a guy like Cristobal, who hasn't played that many games, is even more comfortable a month on now that he's been the left guard as the starter through five games now. And we always knew that the running back talent was there, and we always knew Darren was a good runner, but He's got for 100 yards rushing in three straight games. Clearly, he has taken a an approach of just making his legs an even bigger weapon than they had been before, and it's paying off. And it, Southern Miss couldn't cope with it. And it was something that I had heard from Southern Miss people before the game when I had done some of my other appearances um, ahead of Saturday that they were worried about what a mobile quarterback was going to be able to do. And all game, immediately, it was clear that it was going to be a problem for them. and he took every advantage like i mentioned earlier that 60 yard run so consequential in the game because the you know it's really easy i guess in the grand scheme of things to cut it a four touchdown lead to a two touchdown lead it's hard to again do that twice and then get it back to a tie game but it starts with putting another stop together and feeling like you can keep adding that momentum going. And right at that moment when Southern Miss's momentum was at its only high point in the game, he just ran to the left off the snap and there was just space, space for days. He gets into the red zone and that sets off the touchdown that restores everything for Georgia state and just kills off the home crowd, kills off all the good vibes that it took Southern Miss just a minute of game action to get to. And you know, I, I don't know that he's going to keep the 100 streak going every game. I mean, if he does, I think he's got a chance at a thousand rushing yards, which is hilarious. Uh, he has passed Tucker Gregg for leading rusher on the team. Um, and Marcus Carroll also passed Jam Williams for um, third on the team in rushing yards with his 163 in this game. But yeah, for me, it's a combination of just offensive line has been healthy and set. And the other part is it just feels like collectively, different guys, whether it's Darren, whether it's Marcus Carroll, whether it's the other running backs, it just, just been that intensity that you can tell they've wanted to get back to that. And especially after the the difference between how app was able to run the ball and Georgia state was after the first quarter in that game. I think that there was a mentality in the trenches on both sides, just be like, this is what we want to do, not have done to us. And through two games after what was a real low point for the season, you've seen that offense and 
if we can circle back at some point and talk about the defense as well, you've seen that defense because my word that that defensive front for Georgia State just ate in this game. And they've eaten in the last two games. It it really doesn't make sense to me because I was getting ready to write the obituaries about the defensive line. Like, you know, statistically speaking, it didn't make sense that they break the sack record two years running. Okay, I understand that. But before the Old Dominion game, we were talking about like a this is going to end up being a, a historic low for the past few years when it comes to sacks. Like the sacks were just not a part of what this defense was doing. And it wasn't for lack of talent because it was largely made up of the same group of guys that were there last year. But, and it, you know, obviously Army is not a team that's going to throw, you know, they're not going to drop back and pass 35 times a game, you know. So that was certainly going to skew the numbers. But, I mean, they played teams that were throwing the ball. It wasn't for a matter of that they weren't playing teams that weren't throwing the ball, but they just were not finding ways to get home. And, you know, before the old, the old Dominion game, they were sitting at, what, seven sacks, something like that. And six of them came in the first two weeks. Yeah, and <clears throat> six against Old Dominion, now seven tying the school record against Southern Miss. Jeff Clark in particular has had a hell of a couple of weeks. He's had three sacks and three, ta- three and a half tackles for loss in the last two games. Been a big part of it. Javon Dennis, I think, had two and a half in this game. Um, just everyone getting involved. Jamil Muhammad got his first half sack of the year. Hope that it's going to spurn that second half surge that we saw for him last year because. You know, if if he gets going, it's just another level to what this front can offer. But it's the cliche thing you always talk about with defensive line and where you want to get your pressure from. When you're getting interior pressure, it's really hard for quarterbacks. And it's really hard for inexperienced quarterbacks as well. And you had plays where Thomas Gore was just beating the interior, you know, the guard or the center, just with a swim move off the snap and just bursting through the line. There were some plays where they were just not getting blocked at all. And it set the tone for everything. And okay, Southern Miss had a, I think a 43 yard touchdown run by Frank Gore. With that, they had 33 rushing yards for the game. And that's because there was so much sack yardage. And I think even when you adjust away the sack numbers for the second game in a row, I think that the sack adjusted rush yardage was in like the 70s, which is still a great number to be at. And, you know, the, the thing that you, you know, can lean on if you have a team where you're not sure how much you can lean on your quarterback as you go to the run game, and they just could not get that established at all. And they certainly tried in the first half. There was a couple of drives where I think all they ran were run plays. I think there was after either a first down they got on a penalty or uh, something. It might have just been a conversion of a first down. And the next set of downs, they ran it three straight times and I think moved forward a yard, moved back two yards, and then didn't go anywhere on the third down, ran it on third and long and drew some booze from the crowd. And they just couldn't do anything. It seemed like it was a really good game plan from the defensive staff and the execution was there. And that was the other part of it because I think it would have been surprising to us if it ended up being a total shootout after what we had expected. But part one of the equation was the offense came out and did what they wanted to do. And the second part was that the defense kept putting up zeros. And the other part of this game, which... Sometimes the ball bounces your way, and that's just the fact of life, is that you know Darren fumbled inside the five on the first touchdown drive, and Malik Sumter was able to get over and dump, jump on it, and the next play, first touchdown of the game for Georgia State. Um, 
the muffed punt, really good play by native of Mississippi, Tony McRae, but you can't necessarily count on the ball bouncing your way on those every time. The fact is in this game that they were able to take advantage of those situations. The third one, which I kind of felt bad about was when the receiver just fell down and Antavius Lane had probably the biggest, the easiest interception he's ever going to have in a game where it just kind of got thrown to him. There was no one in the area but him on on their feet. Uh, but he doesn't need to care because it's his first interception in 2022. He's on the board. And I think they used that touchdown drive to go up four scores right before the half. And, you know, so those plays all kind of went Georgia State's way. Uh, and that's been a turn. And they were also to take, able to take advantage of all three of those plays and turn all of them into touchdowns. What's the word I'm looking for? Opportunistic is, you know, that's what all the cool kids say. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, you're, you hit it spot on like that. That's what this defense was. That's what the special teams was. And, you know, that's that's how you win games like this. That's how you turn a good, comfortable win into a blowout like this. They just they found the little stuff. And this is the stuff that has been missing, you know, over the last I'd say, honestly, I'd say about, about the last year, like even when Georgia State has played well. They've never gotten all of it together. You know, this is the type of performance that makes the difference between going into Jordan Hare and, you know, having a close loss like they did last year or, you know, having some of those early season sputters. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this to myself next year. I, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice and all that. But I think the way that Georgia State has played in October and November, it's getting to the point where you can kind of expect that surge. but if they are able to play like this from the start of the season, you know, sky's the limit and it always will be. See, for me, I think it's a little bit of, I mean, I think that this is a team under Sean Elliott that has just gotten better as the season's gone on. And I don't think that that's a bad quality for a football team to have because you want to be peaking at the right time. I think the thing is just making sure that the lows aren't that low because we look at app state, I don't think they were really playing that well in September. And you saw that where it eventually led to them getting kind of blown out on the road by a Texas state team that they shouldn't lose to by in the manner that they did, but they got to two and two in September because, okay, it took a hail Mary against Troy and it took like the all time ground control game against Texas A&M, which I mean, that loss, that win is not looking as good in retrospect. Texas A&M is already at six losses on the year, but the way they were able to do it, they just played a, a, great game plan in that and just ate the clock all the way down. They were able to get those two wins. And so it, it covered up a little bit of, you know, they lost a big lead against James Madison, lost that game. They couldn't come back all the way against UNC. Georgia state makes two, three more plays in the Charlotte game. At least you're one and three at that point. You salvage that one. Maybe you salvage one of the P fives. I have to say that because you needed like, three, five plays to go right in the coastal one. Like that one in the moment wasn't really salvageable, but they've got to find ways if they're not going to be at their best in September to put wins together. nonetheless, like it's okay. I would say if you're a team that plays better as the season goes on, like I said, I think that's where you want to be, but the bottom can't be where it's been. You know, you can't have a Charlotte game like that this year where it's like, everything goes wrong enough to where you lose a game that you were almost a three touchdown favorite at home for you got to find a way to at least level out in the beginning of the year. If this is just the formula of who this team is, um, and, I did a go ahead. 
And that's exactly what I mean. You know, like I'm not say, like the schedule was hard, you know, and, you know, I've recently subscribed to this idea that your schedule is only as hard as you are good. Um, and I, I think that's both fair and a little bit unfair, you know, so to speak. Like, I, I still think Georgia State is good, you know, has talent. But I also know that, you know, some of the teams that they're playing, they, these are teams that have good postseason goals that, like, South Carolina is already at six wins. You know, their only three losses are to SEC teams. And, you know, two of those were ranked. One's Georgia and one's Mizzou. You know, okay, whatever. UNC is competing for the ACC championship. Like, they very much have the inside track to make that appearance happen. And you're right. You know, you can't drop a game like the Charlotte game. You know, Coastal looks great right now and is the Sun Belt East darling right now. But you you can't have that. I know that that series is the weird home and away thing, but you can't have a 17 point loss at home in that manner because you are a team that has the pieces to be a good defense. You are a team that has the pieces to put points on anybody to score on anybody. You know, like we're talking about a top five rushing offense in the country at this point. They really are that good. And I have one more thing on this game, just a more general point and kind of ties into last the the win against ODU as well. Uh, Georgia State has not made good first impressions in the Sun Belt with teams. And what I mean by that is in the previous times that they've played a team as the first for the first time, and this counts South Alabama when they played as in year one is the first time they met, but they played, I think, every season, maybe bar the 2012 season before they were Sunbelt members. So I'm counting it in the tally. Georgia State was one in eight against Sunbelt teams in the first time playing them with the lone win coming against Coastal in 2017. The average margin of loss in that is 22.3 for points for Georgia State to 37.8 for the opponent. Against ODU, who they played back when Georgia State was in the Colonial, but I'm counting as a new, like a a reintroduction. They won that game by 14. Southern Miss, a team they've never played before, who probably isn't that familiar with Georgia State, they won by 28. And the thing is, is that Southern Miss fans now think of Georgia State as that team who just went on the road to Hattiesburg and smacked them. And Georgia State doesn't have teams that have a thought of love like that. Like, Georgia State hasn't earned that type of a, thought from fan bases like oh that's who that georgia state team is because so many of them first memories of georgia state in the first game or going into the second and third and down the line games is not what that was it was you know obviously it was a different georgia state team they were transitioning from fcs to fbs and doing it with an undermanned roster at that but georgia state's at that point where they're able to start setting that expectation with new fan bases and so far they're two and zero in those games and they've got two more on the schedule against james madison and marshall i'm I'm gonna i agree with the points and i uh i hear you and it was you know a well-articulated point i feel like there's a couple of teams that might not necessarily love to see georgia state on the schedule and one of them is georgia southern which already happened the other is next week's opponent in the ulm warhawks i I, you you aren't wrong, except I would mention that the first times that they played, ULM beat Georgia State by 28. And we don't need to talk about what happened the first time they played Georgia Southern, but that is the first thing that they thought of them. In years since, 
Georgia Southern fans have either had to adapt their expectations or haven't changed them and are surprised every year when Georgia State manages to win yet again. Um, and ULM fans, I guess, the same way. But year one, the first impression they had was stark. Those were two of the starker ones when I put this list together. And, you know, it's it's weird specifically for those two just how much they flipped on their head. You know, because when I, I was looking up for... I was just looking at every single win to see if that truthfully was the best quarter that Georgia or half that Georgia state has ever played. And I just kept coming back to the ULM games. And I know that ULM did beat Georgia state in 2019. Cause that was the game in which Dan tore his ACL, but like Georgia state was cruising before that happened. And it was, it was a little back and forth, but you know, Georgia state was kind of moving the ball at will and just something about the Warhawks, man. And it's it's crazy because I remember the first time Georgia State and ULM played because, you know, ULM has had a tough time, we'll say. Um, but those first couple of times ULM got to Georgia State, you know, pretty fairly easily. And since then, this series of games has just been flipped on its head in Georgia State's favor. Yeah, definitely. They've been able to do that as time has gone on. They're riding some win streaks against a couple of teams that had Georgia State's number absolutely in the early years. But this is a chance where I don't know when they're going to play Southern Miss next on the football schedule. Going to be a couple years down the line, just depending on how that rotation works out. It's going to be in Atlanta and they're going to the only memory they're going to have to go on as far as Southern Miss playing them is going to be the Georgia State beat them down in their own place. ODU when they play in Norfolk next year, the memory they're going to have is wow, they were just better than us on that day. And it's a different place for Georgia state because they've had to recoup their image rather than getting to set that from the start. And no, I guess that was what you were hoping for when you're having new teams come into the conference is that you were in a better place than when you entered. And that maybe if they had any thought of Georgia state before they had played them, you were going to be in a better place to show that better impression off. And they've been able to do that through the last two weeks when they've played for the first time in a while or for the first time ever, two of the new teams, two more to come on the season. All right. And as we mentioned before, there is a little bit of transfer news for the football program. Uh, nose guard Akeem Smith has entered the transfer portal. Uh, he had 48 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss and two sacks over his time in Atlanta and had appeared in the first eight games this season before announcing his intention to enter the portal on Monday. Yeah. I mean, this was a little bit surprising. Wasn't necessarily expecting this. Uh, he's been a good reserve for Georgia State. I think the issue probably for him is that Thomas Gore is an exceptionally good nose guard and is not giving up that starting spot anymore. And he's plenty good enough to get a look at a, another school that's going to offer him a starting role probably. And so you know, best of luck to him to that. I think having a guy like that as your backup, taking up maybe 20, 30 snaps in the game, says a lot about the guy in front of him and also just the depth that they've been able to bring. But he's been a good, reliable piece. Um, and I think that, you know, it's not necessarily putting Georgia State in such a weak spot because they do have such a strong starter. And Fuchis Lewis, freshman, has been playing a lot recently. He played on this last game when Akeem Smith didn't travel to Hattiesburg. But definitely interested to see where he lands. I'm sure he's going to land somewhere in the FBS ranks as a grad transfer. And best of luck to him wherever he does go. 
One more item for football this week. We have game one of a marathon Saturday for the Panthers uh, kicking off at 1 p.m. Eastern at Center Park Stadium when Louisiana Monroe comes to town. Warhawks will come to Center Park Stadium at three and six on the season, needing to win out the rest of the remaining games to get to six wins and bowl eligibility. Terry Bowden is in his second year in charge in Monroe and holds a 7-14 record. He's got 182 career wins, going back to his previous stops as head coach at five other schools, including Auburn in the mid-90s. The Panthers have won the last two in the series and hold a 4-3 all-time record against ULM. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the Warhawks? Like we just were talking about, it basically just needs to be exactly what it's been the last few years. You know, for whatever reason, the Warhawks have been the unfortunate benefactor of Georgia State setting their uh, season high in rushing the last couple of years. Do I think that is going to happen on Saturday? I, I don't think so. But if Georgia State is running the ball as they have the last two games, it's going to be another very good coasty win for them i imagine you know ulm is not necessarily a team that's gonna strike fear in in defenses you know they're averaging about 24 a game 23.4 points a game you know not the best but you know they're coming off of a win at least in which they actually did eclipse the 30 point mark but the defense too often are they giving up more than 40 points, you know, and yes, they've got Texas on their schedule. Yes, they've got Alabama on their schedule. But, you know, I'm talking Sunbelt opponents, 45 against Arkansas State, 41 against South Alabama. Army is practically a Sunbelt opponent this year because they played four Sunbelt teams, but 48 against Army. Probably this weekend. Yeah. And <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, so, you know, if Georgia State is able to run the ball like they have been, I just don't see this being a ULM offense that's going to keep pace, you know, and it it should end up looking a little bit like it did last week. Yeah, I think this is just another test where it's like if you do what you're supposed to and don't mess around, like it it should be a game that you win comfortably. But we were saying a lot of the same things when they headed into the Charlotte game. Obviously, that didn't turn out the way it needed to. And I think the difference is the team is just in such a different positive headspace versus where they were coming off of two tough losses. I think they were caught in between in that game of like, we think we're better than this. And also we think we're better than this team coming in. So let's just go out there, get a win, move on. And that isn't what happened. They're coming off two wins in this case. And so there's a chance of maybe being too high, but you'd rather be in that space and just have it be about coaches, making sure their heads are focused and make sure they're ready with the task at hand because the team is playing as good as they have all year. And if they can just do some semblance of that again, this Saturday it's a team that they should be able to do more of the same against. It's just the, the should is just the big word that cries out for just like, all right, but like, just go do it. Like, don't, don't go into the game expecting that you're going to, you've got to go and handle everything. Um, ULM, not the worst on belt rushing defense, but I think 180 something that yards a game allowed of uh, third or fourth in the tally. And they actually had a good game against Louisiana at, at home. They shut down that rushing game and they got a, a shock upset at the time. I think kind of the first like, okay, Louisiana really did take a step back this year type of games. The thing with ULM is there's some weird voodoo magic they've had under Terry Bowden at home where they win a lot of games at home. They've done it the last two years 
And even they play close games when they lose. They took Coastal to a 28-21 game this year before they couldn't close it out. They play slightly less competitively on the road. And this is obviously in Atlanta, so it feels like you're missing that Monroe magic that they've had at home the last couple of seasons. But like I said, it's a team that played Coastal within seven. And it was a home game for them. It was a home game for Georgia State. And every game is different, but... Coastal beat Georgia State by 17 on the road. So obviously it's a team that when you line up against them, they've shown against other common opponents, they can at least play closer that Saturday. So it's definitely not something you can go and expect and you're just going to roll over, that they're going to roll over and that you can just win it handily. But you like where the team is at and you like the chances to where if they can just get a lead in this game, they'd be in a good spot because we've seen how they've been able to manage the clock the last couple of weeks when they've got a lead. And, you know, that'd be the strategy again. And not just because there's a basketball game at seven and we want a nice tight two hour, 30 minute football game to end quickly. So we can get step one over with on Saturday. Oh, I see. We're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're playing the fate here. You know, I like work. I like it. And you know, that is the other thing is like, they are coming off of a game against Texas State at home where they were down 21 nothing early, and they came back and won it. A little bit of fortune because, I guess a little bit of fortune both ways because in that game, ULM was protecting a one-score lead, like a, like a one-point lead, um, fumbled the ball in their own territory. Texas State got a, the ball back in ULM territory and then missed a field goal in the final 10 seconds that would have given them the lead. So a little bit of fortune both ways, but the fact is, is if you're looking at it where it's like, all right, get out to a lead um, and then you'll be fine and you can coast. The last week they beat a team that got out to a lead and started coasting. So maybe that's a little bit of an edge of where it's like you immediately know that they just did that. And so that's going into the game. You're well aware of what they've been able to do as a comeback underdog in a game. But yeah, I mean, Darren's been the weapon he's been on his feet. It's something that I think a lot of teams will struggle with as a mobile quarterback. So if he's in his bag again and maybe pushing 100 yards again, you'd feel pretty good. I didn't think that he had his best game passing. I think he missed some shots that were open against Southern Miss. But it's one of those things where I just feel like every week the shots are kind of going to be there in the passing game. And especially if you've got a team that's it, Southern Miss started really having to care about the run, and that's where you got some one-on-one options. And in the game last Saturday, Darren missed on some throws where he had guys running open. But he's also made those throws this season, and probably he's going to have more opportunities on Saturday against ULM because those have basically been there in every game. And uh, I, I expect nothing different. Uh, you had both Robert Lewis and Jakai's Cradle back against Southern Miss after they did not play against ODU, so that was another good sign for that. And Jamari Thrash had a, a really good game. For as much as the passing game wasn't that much of a factor, Jamari Thrash had two touchdowns. Really nice play on the uh, second one to make his guy miss and just coast 30 yards into the end zone after just one move. And I mean, this is going to be a game that Georgia State wants. You know, I, I, I can't imagine this is a game at this point in the season and with the season that Georgia State has had that this is going to be a game that they overlook because, I mean, let's face it. Your task, should Georgia State lose this game, 
seven wins is probably going to be what you need to go to a bowl game out of the Sun Belt. I, to I know feel, you're going to go. Yes, to know that you're going to a bowl game. Seven wins is you need that for starters. But number two, if Georgia State drops to ULM, they have to go on the road to James Madison and then on the road to Marshall in order to get to bowl eligibility. And now James Madison and Marshall, I could say, actually, neither of those teams are playing their best football like we saw earlier in the year, but they're still tough defenses. They're still, you know, annoying teams to have to go on the road and face. And that's the thing, you know, is it easier to say, okay, to get to six wins, you have to take care of business at home against an opponent you've handled before. And, you know, you know that you can handle again and then split a tough road trip at the end of the season, or you have to go perfect on the road trip, you know? And yes, we in on this podcast and, you know, purveyors of Panther talk, we know that the goal and the expectations for this team were not a bowl game. Nobody wants to see Georgia State in the Cure Bowl. Although if it's against Western Kentucky, it's going to be really fun this year. Nobody wants to see Georgia State in that bowl game. But if you also look at it, look at where they are in the standings. Win against ULM and you know, you're at four wins. You're keeping pace. You know, it you you might not have the tiebreakers that you need, and you know, that's kind of irrelevant, but at least for the fact that where this season started, they were 0-4. They are currently keeping pace. And if you go one and oh each week for the remainder of the season, that's all you can ask out of this team. Yeah, and the only team left standing in the East race other than Coastal, who would have to lose out and George State would have to win out. Coastal has two conference games left against Southern Miss and James Madison. Georgia State obviously has three left, so you're at a disadvantage there because you have to win three conference games. They play UVA in the middle of those. But your last team standing, and I don't think anyone have made that bet would have made that bet <laughs> even a month ago. Like, yeah, Georgia State is going to be the second team left who can have a chance at winning the Sun Belt East. Now, granted, James Madison is still in there as well. They just can't go to the championship game. Um, little different there's year one transition all that but they're still involved but they couldn't be the representative from the east uh they are also with two losses at this point yeah i think it's you're right there's just not really room for any kind of error here because it's going to make your task to even get to six and six which doesn't guarantee you anything pretty hard You'd like to go into this final two-game road trip where if you're looking to at least get to six wins, you just need to split the road trip. If it turns into you lose to ULM, it's going to feel like it's undone a lot of the goodwill, the good vibes from the last two games, and you've got two tough road trips coming up. If you win, you run three in a row, you're still feeling good. And if you get a split, you at least have some agency in getting to a bowl game. And if you win and then you can win two more, you have a lot of agency in getting to a bowl game and you have a winning season confirmed no matter if you get to a bowl game, if you lose a bowl game, whatever, you'd be at seven and five and you'd be at what six and two in conference. For all that there was that went wrong, that would be another triumph for where you started. You you want to get to where you're not digging yourself into a hole starting out 0 and 4 or 1 and 4 like the last two years, but there's still a chance to salvage something from the season. And basically any path to salvaging what you want starts with a win this Saturday. And that's just how it is. And 
you know, we might be getting on here next week talking about a surprise loss and it'll just kind of, there's nothing we can say at this point to preempt that. It's like, if it happens, we'll have been a little unprepared because we think the team's better than that and they've been playing better and they can't have that happen. But, you know, that's just, yeah, it's an outcome that could certainly happen. It's one that they can't really account for. They've kind of got to just take care of the business. And especially after the Charlotte game, like I'm, I am not saying that I am on edge. That is not what I'm going to sit here and say, but you know, it's college football. Like that's just kind of that stuff happens. And that ultimately at the end of the day is the coaching, you know, the coaching staff's got to see where their guys are at, make sure they're locked in because if they come out with energy early in this one, even in spite of the Warhawks comeback against Texas State last week, I think if they jump out to a lead here, they'll feel pretty good. But you know, make, make no mistake, like Jordan said in the intro, ULM needs every game they have left on the schedule to get to six wins. And so they still got something to play for. If that comeback happened, you know, doesn't happen last week and ULM loses to Texas State and they're coming to this game at two and seven, maybe you're looking at a team that's, a little unmotivated, not a hundred percent, you know, getting off the plane in Atlanta ready to scrap, but they're definitely going to be game for this one. You're just going to have to be more game for it. And you have every reason to be. So that's kind of where it's at. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to basketball. First up, we got to talk about this 76 59 win over coastal Georgia on Monday to open the regular season. It was a 38% shooting night by the Panthers, which meant they could never quite pull away from their opening night foe, but they slowly built on an eight point halftime lead and made it comfortable enough with a 17 point final margin of victory. Jaheim Hudson came off the bench to lead all scorers with 16 points and 10 rebounds. So uh, yeah, Brady and I were there at the convocation center on Monday night to uh, cover the game. Uh, Brady, why don't you, uh, let us know what your uh, thoughts were on this game. Well, David can talk about it too because he saw it. This one we don't have to do. Oh, that's like right. Telephone. It was broadcast. It was actually on ESPN, ESPN Plus. Plus. All right. Well, then both of you go right ahead. Yeah, I'll. I'll I guess we'll keep tradition going because David made the first comment last week, even though he didn't watch the game. So I'll let him take the floor first again. We'll keep it going. Oh man, I have nothing but great things to say about the Convocation Center. First of all, um, when the broadcast started, there was just a very normal shot. I, I don't think it was. I think it was live. I don't think it was just B-roll from you know pregame warmups. But just watching Georgia State warm up, and you could kind of see like the fuzzy seats in the background. I had to remind myself that this wasn't like an NCAA tournament game. You know, just because the atmosphere looked completely different than anything I've ever seen watching Georgia State. And, you know, it it looked incredible. Like, it looked really good on TV. You know, the designs of the floor, it just, it felt right. Um, and, you know, I could probably sit here and spend another 30 minutes on that part of it, but you probably want to hear my thoughts on the actual game itself. Um I'll be honest, I was a little worried about uh, the offense, um, not because I don't think that there's talent, but because this wasn't an exhibition. And, you know, guys, you would love to see, uh, you know, a 120 point performance out of them. You know, they definitely scrapped for those 76 points, I think. But you definitely could see that the talent was just superior for Georgia State. And the shots will fall, you know, like I, I am not worried about the shots falling 
because you could definitely see that the gears were turning for a lot of players who have never been put in this situation and who just have not played in a while. Um, and, you know, you got to keep in mind, like Coastal Georgia, this was their third game, fourth game of the season, I believe. Um, they have played competitive basketball so far this season. You know, we're not talking about an NCAA tournament type competitive basketball, but they have played basketball that counted and mattered. And Georgia State has not done that. So, you know, I think defensively, I liked what I saw in the first half, you know, kind of went away in the second half, but they they found their offense. You know, they were spreading it out. They found exactly what they needed out of guys. You know, Brendan Tucker, I think he had all 11 of his points in the second half. You know, he's... Yeah. He's one of the guys who just kind of took off in the second half. And that's that is what I wanted to see more so than anything else. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the offense is probably going to be the lagging unit. Um, I don't know how long it'll lag or how low it'll lag. I just think that you're seeing that shots that should be falling aren't. And I'm really not long term worried about that because all of Brendan Tucker, Dewan Odom, Jermaine Mann in their previous spots were above 50 on, you know, shots inside the arc. Dewan Odom something like 59% on twos last year. He can make layups. He can make those contested shots. He can drive and get what he wants to. The feel's not there. Maybe it's the new arena. Maybe there's just some tentativeness and just guys deciding what the right shot is. And on Monday, part of it was also not so much with layups, but just with general shot selection, there was some forcing going on. Uh, Coastal Georgia was going with the zone for most, if not all, the game. And the thing you don't want to do against the zone is just take the first look you can get where there's not a guy in your face. And there were a couple of times where guys were noticing they had a little bit of space and they put it up and it wasn't maybe the best shot. And when they were running their offensive sets, they were getting some good looks. Um, And as the game went on, they were having moments where even off of misses, they were starting to stack some second looks and getting good shots off of that. And the one I remember distinctly at this point is in the second half, there was one point where Dewan Odom drove into the lane and got his shot blocked. The ball bounced out past the three-point line, and he went back and chased it, beat the defender to it, threw it back to a wide-open Brendan Tucker, and he had a three. And I like that stuff. And I like that that energy figures to translate more as the season continues to go on where there are guys laying out for rebounds. There's guys on offense and on defense trying to make that extra play. And in that instance, they got a nice open three out of it and made the shot. And you're seeing a lot of that. I think there's going to just be a little more time to gel because it just seems like sometimes it's communication. Sometimes it's making the wrong choice on a fast break, or sometimes two guys going for a ball, getting their other way, getting, get in each other's way a little bit. Um, but certainly growing pains, especially on the offensive end. And even the second half, there were some moments where like some back cuts that Coastal Georgia was using led them some wide open baskets where just there was miscommunication between two guys defense. And that stuff is going to happen when you're playing live basketball for the second time against another team in the first time in a competitive game. But, you know, it's going to be a test through non-conference because there really isn't a soft spot. You know, the softest spot is the, you know, quote unquote, worst teams you play after this in non-conference. It's all in a multi-team event that's three games in three days. So that adds its own element of difficulty to it. Um, But you do see the talent, like you said. I think that you can see what 
the guards on this team are capable of. They're just not firing on all cylinders yet, and it's leading to lower shooting per- percentages, and that is leading to them not pulling away from either of the teams they've played so far. And, you know, I don't know what the identity of this uh, Coach Hayes-led team is going to be just because I feel like we have to get away from, you know, what the identity of this program has been. You know, a new coach always has the opportunity to bring their own identity. And, you know, the introductory press conferences are always nice, but the game film speaks for itself. If this is just a scrappy, annoying, you know, clawed out Georgia State team, they are the Panthers, so it works. But, you know, I think you're right. Some of the shots, they are going to start to fall. But until they do, they might just have to be, you know, just keep themselves in it until, you know, and let the good, positive late game situations dictate their success rate. And do things like have Big Ed block some shots. He had three blocks. Jaheim also had three blocks. Jaheim seems like just the set sixth man, and I actually really liked the role. I think he came on and brought a nice energy to the second unit. And uh, Edward Namoko is a freshman. You saw some of the freshman tendencies. You know, he picked up some fouls going for some blocks where just he got a little bit too close to the guy, connected with him instead of the ball. But you liked what he brought, and you liked what Jaheim brought off the bench. And they're offering different things i think you're asking a guy who's playing his first college ball to kind of be your enforcer down low um and jaheem kind of been a little bit of you know helping help side defense getting some blocks active hands defensively but also taking threes on offense and taking some jumpers and it's not all about just a traditional post game for him but I don't know that he's going to lead the team in points every game, but it was certainly, especially on a night where the guards all had inefficient shooting nights, it was nice to see that there was someone able to take that position. And it's a guy that we saw some flashes from last year when he was a freshman, and you can see again that he's probably taken a step this year. And I'm interested to see how that shakes out because those two guys are going to be sharing some minutes, sharing maybe a few times on the court, but not very much because it seems like it's going to be a lot of four guards, one big um, rotations. And I mean, they're going to offer different things where they're on the court, but each of them are offering something this team needs. And I'm interested to see just how that continues to develop. I think my early thought is that Namoko has got a nice chance of being just the guy they rely on as they're big. And it's a big shoes for a guy to fill as a true freshman, but he looks pretty ready for it. I mean, you're going to take lumps and there's going to be nights where he's probably going to get in foul trouble. But I saw I, there was a lot that I liked from what he was able to do. And he's going to get a big test this Saturday against an ACC team. And there's more on the docket through non-conference. And he's just going to be doing it all on his feet a little bit like Jalen and Joe did when they were freshmen in Rob Lanier's first year here. Uh, but that was the thing that jumped out to me as far as individual players in the game on Monday was what he brought as far as just an energy. And it was something that Coach Hayes talked about post-game also. You could see it, you know, right away. You definitely could see that that was a guy just going, playing basketball. Um, I didn't love a lot of the stretches that Georgia State went too big, to kind of further your point. Um, that is definitely something that I think will need to be worked on because that's mostly where they were getting killed. Um, 
But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's something that I would be concerned about. Like, it's probably fine. And, I mean, a lot of that is a guy like Edward Moko. He's going to get better. You know, Jaheim didn't have the same level of success in the second half. But, you know, that was kind of when the guards were kind of getting in there. So consistency is kind of the name of the game anyways. But it it was it was I liked the big play actually I I did think that that was a bright spot and you know that's definitely something that's going to be very important for Georgia State as things continue. Yeah, so I'm not in that spot of like wanting to temper expectations or elevate them. It just is going to be kind of a team we're going to have to roll with, and you know it might click just all of a sudden at some point. It might click in this next game. We're not really sure when it's going to happen. I think long term it's still going to be okay because I think you trust the playmaking and that I think that the offense might be a little bit where you're putting the ball in your guards hands and trusting them to make plays. And, you know, against inferior competition, I think that they set set themselves up in situations to make those plays and just the shots didn't fall. I think if they can keep getting those looks, more of them will fall and they'll be in a better place as far as that goes. And I think it'll all feed together because I just think, the thing that they weren't able to do really in the exhibition or the first game against Coastal Georgia for long stretches was play complementary and kind of have that put away. And that's why they couldn't get out to a 20 plus lead in either of the games, just because there were stretches where the defense was playing really good in both games and there were stretches when the offense was playing really good in both games. The only time that both were happening at the same time is the times in those games where they went on some runs and they were pretty limited. And that's why they couldn't break out to big leads. So, Going forward, I think more than just like they need to put it better on offense or they need to play better on defense, they need the times when they're doing both to be more frequent and longer. And that's going to be what's you know important because I think you're not expecting to have a blowout win against Georgia Tech, but if you're getting out to leads like they were in getting out to like you jumped out to a 9-0 lead in the game against Coastal Georgia and they couldn't build on that, you know, if they get out to like a 15-2 lead, 17-3 lead in that game. Probably it doesn't feel like it did for most of the first half where we're just kind of hanging out a single-digit game. Coastal Georgia was getting confidence. But this stretch wasn't nearly long enough where you could put one of those type of runs together. When they're able to do that, it'll feel like the team is starting to click into place. Um, until then, that's going to be the concern is that they're just not playing consistently enough to put games away. And as you know, 10-0 runs can happen like that in basketball. So it's important that you've got that ability to put some distance between you and your opponent because it's pretty easy to make a comfortable lead disappear. All right. So we do have two, count them, two home games this upcoming week for the men. Saturday, the big one versus Georgia Tech at 7 p.m. following the football game uh, earlier that afternoon. And then Tuesday at 7 p.m. versus Mercer. So uh, two big games against good in-state teams. Very, very interested to see how those pan out. What are our thoughts? Yeah, in saying that all I just did about, you know, might not click, you know, inconsistency, whatever, I'm wondering how much of just the occasion of this game, positive or negative, what it's going to do, because there's a chance that they don't actually fix anything going into this game, but they play better because, you know, they're playing Georgia Tech. Presumably, you know, I think the last I saw, there's 150 lower level tickets available, and that was like a day or two ago. So that number might be lower. It is lower. 
My uh, my dad it called is. to buy a couple of tickets for some people they're bringing to the game, and when he called earlier today, I think they had less than twenty left in the lower bowl. There you bowl. go. Yeah. So assuming everyone's going to be using those tickets, lower bowl is going to be full. To say nothing, what happens in the upper deck? There's going to be a lot of energy, and sometimes that can be a detractor, and sometimes that can be a positive. And we'll see where that takes the game. I don't know that playing it with a little bit of that energy would be a bad thing because I think you want to come out and jump on the ACC team in your own house and kind of get the crowd behind you. But I don't know that I'm going to have any different takeaway. Like if they come out and drop 80 on Georgia Tech and you know shoot 50% from three, I might chalk up a good bit of it to just the occasion and that they were feeling themselves. And it might not mean anything different longer term. It might still be kind of a journey. But this is an opportunity where you know you're not playing just anyone you're playing Georgia tech and it's a, a series. Now that will be the third of the final game. Didn't sound like when Passner talked about it last year, that there was really a chance of it renewing. It was just kind of something they put together because of the COVID and they wanted to have close games. And this might be your chance to win this series two one and not play Georgia tech again, you know, by their own accord might play again. Like Georgia played Georgia state in the tournament in some Caribbean Island somewhere. Um, and have a chance to be 2-1 and take that home and cement what you think is the truth about you being the best basketball team in the state. A lot of that could be at play and be a positive with the energy. And so I don't know at what point I'm going to allow myself to have any kind of like definitive thoughts on this team. It probably won't be after this game, even if they win, but I'm leaving open the chance that they go out and put together a electric performance in this game because of what the situation is. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I just I don't know how much this game will really tell me about where this team is. You know, I think when they played a couple of years ago and Georgia State beat Tech or last year when it was really close, those were kind of set in stone teams. You know, that yes, there were some new pieces, but it really was a situation where guys knew how they played basketball at Georgia state. And this isn't that same situation. And yeah, it'd be really nice to even, you know, get a surprise win and, you know, calm down all of our fears, hopes, whatever, you know, it, it would be nice if they answered some questions that we may or may not have for Georgia state this year. But I also just know, just given how these kind of games work, it, it might not tell us anything, you know, Georgia tech might just be a better team on a good day. And that's, that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with Georgia state kind of going up against that, you know? And, you know, I, I think Mercer has been kind of a, a weird opponent for Georgia state in the last couple of years. You know, they've gotten Georgia state more than Georgia state's gotten Mercer, but you know, I think that would tell us a little bit more than the Georgia tech game might tell us. Yeah, it's been a good team under Greg Gary. Um, obviously, last year, Georgia State almost mounted a comeback in Macon, but it was final score that maybe wasn't even as close as the second half played out. It just Georgia State made a run late. Mercer made a couple of those don't-do's mistakes late in games when you have a lead. Uh, but the door was closed enough that Georgia State couldn't come all the way back. They lost some players from that team. Ironically, the conference mate Southern Miss, Felipe Hase and Neftali Alvarez are both on the Golden Eagles now. And Hase is a South Carolina transfer. Don't get many bigs at this level that can make threes like he can. So 
certainly that's a loss for them. I haven't done a full deep dive on like their roster, who they got to replace them, but coach Lanier was always really complimentary of the offense that they ran. And so I think they're going to be a good team coming in and yeah, I mean, you, you don't look at it as either of them is like a certain win, but if you're looking at them and ranking the wins, certainly Mercer is probably a more reasonable win to project just based on they're not in the ACC with ACC money, scholarships, all that that Georgia Tech has. You certainly don't want to go winless because you want to get your first D1 win of the year. And if you can't get against Georgia Tech, it would still feel good to get the two and one against Mercer. Another game where it's just going to be, I it it's hard to get too deep into either of these games because it's kind of the same thing because it's like, we just want to see how different they look versus the last game. And that's going to just be the case for Georgia Tech and then see how they recover and do it against Mercer on Tuesday. So one last item of news to discuss uh, before we get you guys out of here this week, and that is that the the MAC, the Mid-American Conference, and the Sun Belt have signed an agreement to do exchanges of basketball games between the two conferences starting, I believe, is it next season? Next well, season. Yeah, so uh, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so Jeff Goodman of Stadium put this out. Um, it's an agreement to have the MAC and the Sun Belt have teams pair up and play two games, one home, one away every year. One would be about the first weekend of the college basketball season. The other one would be in mid-February. And the idea here, as I understand it, is that the Sunbelt coaches have been asking the conference for some help in doing some out-of-conference scheduling that wasn't going to involve non-Division One home games because the conference really wants them to get away get away from using those as many as they can. You know, they want them to have less non-D1 games on the schedule. And so it's an opportunity where teams can look at it and go, we know we're playing this game at home in November. We don't need to schedule whoever we would be scheduling otherwise. I mean, I think they're going to do a job kind of like how the ACC Big Ten Challenge is usually seeded to a degree where you have like the better teams in each of the conferences face off. And I think you're going to see that. And so... Assuming Georgia State is perceived as one of the better teams, I think they'll be the beneficiary because aside from just playing a D1 team versus a non-D1 team, the difference between playing Coastal Georgia and like Central Michigan probably isn't that great for Georgia State. If anything, the one that doesn't count against your net rating um, in the non-D1 is probably better. But if Georgia State is getting a nice road game to Buffalo, Toledo, Kent State, those are all good teams to put yourself up against in the early season. And so I'm saying this from like the spoil Georgia state's been a good Sunbelt team. So I expect them to get the benefit of the doubt in this. Um, we'll see how it shakes out when the teams actually get announced year by year, but it should be a nice chance specifically for Georgia state and some of the other teams at the top to get a nice early season test. And then mixed in conference play in the middle of February, by the way, either a home game or a road game, you're going to play them again. Um, as far as I read it, it's going to be the same team twice. I kind of hope that's not the case. I hope I'm wrong, and I we can issue a correction. It's like it's two different teams, just because I don't really like the home and home nature of it. But it would still be good if it's a good team. You're playing twice on the schedule in addition to your conference schedule. I think that can be a good thing. And I think for some of the the teams that it's they might be playing the lower teams in the MAC. I think those are the teams historically in the Sun Belt that have been struggling to get those scheduled games. So. I think everyone comes out okay in this because either you're getting a good quality matchup or you're one of the teams that hasn't been getting home games as easily. And this is a bankable one that you can put in the schedule. 
this just reminds me of those pods from a few years ago. You know, an, an interesting idea at the time, but this is a much better implementation of that. Yeah, and I don't know if the Mac was because they had 12 teams and they could at least somewhat match up with the Sun Belt. Um, Sun Belt's got 14, and so presumably two teams will get left out arbitrarily or non-arbitrarily. We'll find out exactly how they're going to make that, but I think you'd rather do it with other, the, have a more regional conference like the SOCON um, kind of conference, you would say, but they're so spread out right now that it's less regional. New Mexico State is not in the region with the Sun Belt. Uh, but I like the first step of getting this scheduled and maybe five years down the line, you get a different series. I mean, we don't know what realignment is going to be at that point, but I like the idea of getting this set up. And I think the Mac isn't this high profile league, but neither is the Sun Belt. So I don't think you can be too snooty about it. And you're scheduling a, a challenge and there's some, some sauce behind it. It's like supremacy between these two mid-major conferences. I don't know. I'm for it. Yeah, I think anything you can do to raise the overall profile of the Sunbelt Conference from a perspective of scheduling teams is a good thing because I know a lot of us have been advocating for years for a multi-bid Sunbelt in the NCAA tournament. And you're not going to get there if you're playing D2 and D3 teams in the regular season. And I know a lot of teams in the Sunbelt, Georgia State in the past, and I've heard uh, James Madison has had problems as well, scheduling teams to come play them in their arenas during the regular season. If you have something already baked in where you have teams from a known conference, even if it's not necessarily one of the best conferences, a known D1 conference that's going to be reliable every year, that makes that burden a little bit less hefty to bear and makes it possible for the uh, overall profile to increase. So I think I think yeah. it's a good idea. I'm in favor of it. Yeah, I think it's step one is having less D- non-D1 games, and this is part of that formula. And maybe part two is once you get rid of that, you change up the schedule, you open up some doors, what have you. But I think step one for raising the profile is making sure it's not as low as it's been with how many non-D1 games there are. I mean, even Georgia State for the schedule they have this year have a couple too many, in our opinions. Um, And so this will hopefully get at least one of those for next season's schedule going forward. All right. And that is just about all the time we have for today. This is a long episode. So thanks for sticking with us. Lots to talk about for the Panthers this week. But of course, before we get you out of here, we do have to mention our sports bits of the week. Of course, we have volleyball on Thursday playing ULM in the sports arena at 6 p.m. And then at 7 p.m., the women travel just up the road to North Avenue to face Georgia Tech at McCamish Pavilion on Friday. Volleyball plays ULM again in Atlanta at 1 p.m. Of course, on Saturday, we have that marathon doubleheader of a a day for Georgia State. We have the football game versus ULM at 1 p.m. at Center Park Stadium. And then at 7 p.m., tip-off against Georgia Tech and men's basketball at the Convocation Center. That's going to be a very long day. On Sunday, women's basketball travels to Tallahassee to face Florida State at 2 p.m. And then, of course, on Tuesday, you have uh, both basketball teams in action as women's basketball travels to Tallahassee to play Florida A&M. And then the men host Mercer at 7 p.m. And then on Wednesday, volleyball travels to the Sun Belt Championship Tournament in Foley, Alabama. And that'll get us through the rest of this week. Lots of stuff for the Panthers. We'll be at the uh, football and basketball games on Saturday. And then as well as the men's basketball game on Tuesday. So come support the Panthers. Come say hi. We will see you then. But until then, have a great week and go Panthers.